0: All right, today we're in Genesis chapter 39, Invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. If you uh, don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, let us know. We'll get you one. We'll buy you one. We want you to have a Bible. We'd love for you to bring it to church so that you can make notes and um, follow along with us in your copy of the Scriptures. If not, we will put it on the screen here. We're going to look at Joseph, integrity personified as we are walking through this great narrative, this great story of one of the great patriarchs of the faith, Joseph in the Old Testament. And today we come to chapter 39, verses 7 through 12. And uh, before I even read this, just let me prepare you. Yes, it, it is what you think it is. All right, let me just go ahead and say that. It, she does ask Him what you think she does ask Him. It is um, very, very forward. It's the Word of God. And I get the opportunity and the privilege to, to preach God's Word today, and I'm excited, excited about it. Uh, we've watched as Joseph has gone from riches to rags to riches, and now he's about to go back to rags. It's a life, it's a journey of Joseph that it really is interesting. As you watch his life, you can find many parallels and commonalities not only with Jesus, but also in, in our own lives. If you remember, Joseph was the apple uh, of his father's eye. He was the beloved, the the one that Jacob uh, just dearly cherished. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. So he's gone from the pinnacle to the pit in just a matter of moments, and he is taken from Canaan, Hebron, traveled all the way down to Egypt, uh, where there he is uh, placed in the care and the custody of a man by the name of Potiphar, and Potiphar was the chief executioner for Pharaoh himself. Uh, He was a very important man, a very prestigious position, And, and so he takes Joseph and employs him in his home as one of his servants. And so we watch Joseph as he rises now from the pit back up to the pinnacle, or from the rags back up to riches, because here we find Joseph, he is very prominent again, God has blessed him. Uh, with good health, with good favor, with a good job, with a good income. But all of that is about to change because he is on this roller coaster ride. At the one moment, things are just going great for Joseph, and then the next moment, uh, they change drastically. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, you're just cruising along in life. Everything is grand and grandiose and wonderful. And then the next thing you know, you get yourself in trouble, and yet you had not done anything wrong. You ever notice that? Sometimes that happens. That's just part of following in the footsteps of the faithful. We have integrity. Our integrity can even be personified and be conspicuous, and it can honor God, and yet it can still get us in trouble. So let's look at it. And it came to pass—now those are very important words—about 10 years have elapsed. Joseph has gone from a 17-year-old to about a 27-year-old. It came to pass after these things after many years of being dutifully employed by Potiphar himself, that his master's wife." Now you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, she's never given a name. And I think that is very significant. And the Bible is silent on her name. All we know her as Potiphar's wife because she's really not worthy to be named because of her lifestyle, because of her promiscuity, because of her unfaithfulness, because of her lack of fidelity to her husband. Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. And that's what where, where I was saying earlier, does that mean what I think it means? Yes. Let me, let me just say, that's exactly what's intended. She wants Joseph to sleep with her and betray her vows that she made to her husband. But Joseph, the Bible says, he refused, and in the Hebrew, ma'il, that word means to refuse utterly. It means to be adamantly against that. And he said to his master's wife, look now, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. Remember last time we talked about that. And Potiphar so trusted Joseph that he he didn't even worry anything inside the house outside the house, in the fields, it, with his uh, livestock, whatever it was, if Joseph was the accountant, if Joseph was his right-hand man, then, then Potiphar, he, he just didn't worry him. He, he trusted him completely, implicitly, explicitly. He trusted Joseph, trusted Joseph, uh, even with his wife. He said, there is no one greater in this house than I, Joseph said. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. In case you have forgotten, you're his wife. You're not my wife, okay? I'm not married. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God?" And So it was, as she spoke to Joseph, say those next words with me, day by day. Not just one fleeting moment of sensuality and temptation, no. This was every day. And in case you're wondering, yes, she was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I hesitate to say this, but so I'll probably — she was just pretty, okay? Uh, I, Cindy Crawford pretty. Ashley, she's — this. my wife's the prettiest woman in the world, and Cindy Crawford second. That's just, that's just a joke. Uh, around our house, you know? She, she didn't look like Rosie O'Donnell or Phyllis Diller. I mean, she, she was this, this beautiful woman, okay? And therefore, the temptation's very, very valid. I mean, it's extremely valid. So it was, she spoke to Him day by day by day, but He would not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time. Uh, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, and she said, again, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he did that." Gentlemen, let let me encourage you especially, guys. He did that which is so praiseworthy and all of us should do it when we're faced with this. He fled. He got out of Dodge. He got out of the city. He ran, like Paul said, flee sexual immorality, and he ran outside. And that's our text today. What a fascinating passage of Scripture. There's so much here that we can glean, that we can learn from. And I'm excited today to be able to share it with you because I really believe this is going to help someone and encourage all of us. Discipleship Journal a few years ago did a survey of their readers, of their readership, and they, they asked them, they said, what are the areas that are the greatest challenge to you spiritually? And the respondents, they, they said, well, here's the top nine. Here are the top nine sins, if you will, that we are most tempted and we struggle with. Number one, materialism — this was in America, by the way — materialism, pride, self-centeredness. Number four is laziness. And then there was a three-way tie for fifth — anger, bitterness, and sexual lust. Number seven was envy, eight, gluttony, and nine was lying. Survey respondents noted that temptations were much more potent if they neglected their time with God in daily devotion. Eighty-one percent said, I find myself much more vulnerable when I have neglected my time, my daily devotional with the Lord. Fifty-seven percent said they are more vulnerable when they are physically tired. Resisting temptation, they said, is best accomplished, eighty-four percent said, when they are praying. Their greatest combat to sexual temptation or any kind of temptation, they said, my greatest weapon is the weapon to just stop in my tracks and call out to God. Eighty-four percent said, when I pray, I feel emboldened to do righteousness. Seventy-six percent said, I just avoid compromising situations, Uh, like like Joseph did. He found himself there and he just, he fled, seventy-six percent. Sixty-six percent said the Bible, the Word of God. And then, interesting, 52% of those surveys said, the way I overcome is by being accountable to someone else. Uh, Justin Armour was a young uh, graduate of college. He was drafted by the uh, Buffalo Bills, and he was so excited. He's a, he's a young believer at this time. He's, he's, uh, he's older, he's in his 30s now. But when he, was, um, when he was in his 20s, he was drafted, and man, the, the veterans on the team were like, hey, welcome to the to the Bill family, and man, we've got a party we want you to come to." And he's like, oh, great, yeah, yeah, sure. He's a young Christian, a little bit naive, and he said, I walked into that party and I was like, whoa. He said, there's all these attractive women, and and they were coming up to me saying, we are yours for the night, for the weeks, whatever you want, it is yours. And you know what he did? He said, I literally looked at the door, and I ran. He said, I got out of there as fast as I could." He emulates Joseph's example and he said, quote him, he says, I got out of there as fast as I could. I'd rather not have my mind polluted by those things. Once you've been in a situation like that and there's that temptation, you just learn to avoid it and you don't go back. He said, I would call my best friend and my accountability partner, Steve Strinsome, and he said, you know, you need someone to hold you accountable for walking with Christ. Steve does that for me. He knows everything about my life, the good and the bad, and there's nothing that He will not hold me accountable for. So here we are, you know, and I'm reading Genesis 39, and, and I think I'm in Austin 2016. I mean, it's — Satan, you know, he has his bag of tricks. He is the deceiver, and then he is the accuser. He really only has those two tricks, but he's very masterful at those tricks, and he spends those, and, and he will tempt us any way he can to bring dishonor — listen to this, guys. Satan, he's not so much interested in, in you falling as if it's going to hurt you. He's not interested in that at all. What he's interested in, more than anything, is getting at God. He wants to hurt the name and the fame of Jesus, and He will use you as a pawn. And He will, he will, he will deceive you, He will trap you, He will tempt you, but He will never show you the end result because He doesn't want you to — He didn't want you to see it. He wants you to fall prey to it. The Bible says in Genesis 39 — this is an interesting text — it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. There's only four men in the Bible that those phrases are, that phrase is used to describe, and Joseph is one of them. If you're interested, the other three would be Saul. Remember Saul? He was tall, dark, and handsome, well-built. The third one was David. King David was like this, and then David's son, Absalom. Only four men in the Bible are described this way. So here Joseph is, he is well-built and handsome, he's serving God by keeping his nose clean and doing what Potiphar tells him to do, and he finds himself in a very difficult place. And so today as we walk through this text, I pray that the Spirit of God just speaks to you and encourages you, because I'm telling you guys, listen to me carefully, I'm going to say guys a lot, because guys, this Joseph, and where he is and what he's dealing with is what many of you are dealing with. And if it's not in the flesh person, like Potiphar's wife, then it's pornography. Dare I say that word, in church. Because many guys, many Christian guys struggle and deal on a very deep, dark, difficult level with pornography. And So the principles I'm going to share with you today are going to be valid, they're going to help you as you just listen carefully and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, to encourage you, to convict you. And Father, that is my prayer. I ask You, Lord, You would speak to us, You would encourage us and challenge us. Lord, I pray especially for the men, the men of God, men that are leading their families and leading our church. And God, You would be with them and give them a spirit of boldness. God, help us to emulate the very example of Joseph. Speak to us, God. Speak to all of us, we pray, in Jesus' name. First of all, there is a valid temptation in verse 7. Now it came to pass, he's in his twenties, guys. His hormones are raging, yes, he's probably 27 years of age. He's healthy, handsome, respected, he's financially secure, and he faces Potiphar's wife. Uh, F.B. Meyer says this. He says, you know, we may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease. We will face them more than when we face them in privation and toil. It's not so much on the glacial slopes, but in the sunny plains that we face our greatest challenges. Not when the youth is climbing arduously the steep ladder of fame, but when he has entered the golden portals, not where men frown, but where they smile their sweet, exquisite smiles of flatter. It is there, he says, it is there that the temptress lies in wait. Beware. I've heard it said this way by a Scottish writer. He says, for every one of us that can withstand prosperity, a hundred of us can withstand adversity. And that really is where Joseph is. He is back on top. Things are well. I mean, he is, he is serving. He is I mean, he's just at peace. You can just see this young man. He is, he's thinking, wow, I, I finally come out of that, uh, the, the drudgery, the dr- I mean, just the pit of what my family did to me, and Potiphar's had mercy on me, and so here I am, and man, I don't want to blow this. And so I want to honor God, I want to honor my employee, and then here… Here she comes, and she offers this very valid temptation to him. But don't you notice secondly, that he has a valiant response that Joseph responded in a way that is so uh, praiseworthy. Now he has two options before him, okay? Number one, he can rationalize and he can justify, or he can refuse the temptation. And by the way, that is the same with all of us. Whatever our temptation may be, whether it's. Um, uh, sins of the flesh, or sins of the heart, sins of the tongue, sins of the eyes. Whatever our temptation is, we always have a choice. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, don't let us say, you know, oh, it that, that was just too much for me. I, I did not have a way of escape. The Bible says God always gives us a way of escape if we will take it. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word of God, men. To be praying, to be sharing our faith, to be exercising those spiritual muscles so they don't atrophy, so they don't waste away on us, so that we're close to God and we're clean with God and we're close to our families and clean with our families so that when the temptation comes and we're faced with an opportunity, we refuse to rationalize, but we say, no, I am not going down that path. And he could have rationalized. I mean, think about it. Joseph could have said, "Hey, what? I mean, really, it's not that big of a deal." I mean, after all, I am a young twenty-something-year-old, and she is a very attractive woman. And I mean, after all, look, look what all I've been through. Surely God will understand. I mean, surely God will understand because I mean, after all, God allowed me to be sold into slavery, into the pit, and so. And see it? You see it? start feeling sorry for himself, and start rationalizing and start justifying it. Hey, listen guys, if we're not careful, we can become incredibly creative when it comes to sin. I I was reading, uh, late last night, I'm reading Vince Lombardi's uh, biography. It's a fascinating read. By the way, I didn't didn't realize what an interesting, fascinating man. The Lombardi trophy, you with me? It's named for him for a reason. He was an incredible coach for the Packers, but before that, he was on staff at West Point When Army, he was the offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator at Army. And by the way, Army back then would beat Notre Dame. They would beat Stanford. I mean, they were at the top. They would go undefeated. But in 1951, there was a scandal that broke out at West Point. There was a rumor that some of the guys, and especially some of the football players, were engaged in cheating on their exams. And they were like, oh, surely not duty. Honor, country, duty, honor, country. Surely not West Point. By the time they got through with the investigation, 80-plus guys, most of whom were football players, were caught cheating, and they were expelled from West Point. And so the coach, and Lombardi was one of them, lost all of his best players just like that. Well, they interviewed those guys. And they asked them, they said, how could you do that? I mean, we we have such a strict code of conduct, and they have verbatim, they have the transcript. And I was reading these last night, and they would say something like, well, I knew it was wrong, but — and that's where we get in trouble — I knew it was wrong, but the upperclassmen I mean, I idolized these guys. One of them just said, man, I worship this guy. He was just, he just meant the world to me. He was a senior. He was about to graduate, and he came to me, and he said, son, you don't look too smart. (laughs) That's what he said. He said, son, you don't look too smart, and you're going to need some help in passing so that you can keep playing, and here's a method whereby you can cheat, and you can get ahead. And he said, I knew it was wrong, but everybody else was doing it. And surely the other colleges and universities were doing it, and surely I'm at West Point and it's — man, West Point is hard, and, and I, I tell you, I'm sure everybody would understand if I just fudged a little bit, and the next thing you know, they are expelled from school. Devil never tells them that part. He just always says, well, you know, nobody will know, it's not that big of a deal. And so they compromise, they rationalize, but not Joseph. I'm so grateful for his stellar, splendid example of refusal. Chuck Swindoll, he's written a book, and many of y'all probably read it, On the Life of Joseph. And when it comes to this sin, he's listed some very crafty excuses, or these um, reasons in quotations. Well, my husband doesn't meet my needs like you could. You know, by doing this, you'll prove that you really do care for me. Who will ever find out? We are completely alone. We are absolutely safe. Hey, we're going to be married soon anyway. What the deal? Why does it matter? I mean, everybody does this. I'm so terribly lonely. God understands. That's why He brought you into my life. How about that one? (laughs) Just this once, never again. And the last one, What's, what's grace all about? If it won't cover something as natural as sexual intercourse, I mean, what? what? God, God created it. I mean, God understands And And by the way, if we do this, if we fall, we'll just cast ourselves upon the mercy seat of God. He'll forgive us. We'll go to church, and everything will just be fine. By, by the way, we're not Catholics. We don't just sin like we want to sin, and then just say, well, I'll just go to confession and everything is clean. That's not a relationship with God. A relationship with God is, no, I don't want to do that, and I refuse to do that. And if you do fall, and some of you do fall, that you say, God, please have mercy on my soul. Not just run and confess to your priest, confess to Almighty God and say, God, I'm sorry, and I have, I've hurt my fellowship with you. I've, I've hurt my relationship with you. God, please forgive me. And Swindle goes on to say, you and I need to discern the times in which we live. We are living in an era that attempts to stretch grace to heretical extremes. I see it and I hear it virtually every week of my life, says Pastor Swindoll. So allow me to be very straight with you. The greatest gift, guys, listen to me. I know there's distractions. I anticipated it. I know a lot of people are going to get up and go to the bathroom. I anticipated it. Kids are going to cry. I knew the devil didn't want me saying this, but listen to this. Allow me to be very straight with you. The greatest gift you can give your marriage partner is your purity and your fidelity. The greatest character trait you can provide your spouse and your family is moral and ethical self-control. Stand firm, my friend. Refuse to yield. Joseph did, and so can you. The book that I use in premarital counseling, Kyle Miller put me onto this book. He said it's the greatest book he's ever read on premarital counseling, on marriage, and so forth, and it's called uh, Love and Respect. And Dr. Emerson Egerix, he he makes a statement, and and guys, it's kind of graphic, but stay with me. He goes, the devil will do everything in his power to get you in bed before you're married, and everything in his power to keep you out of bed once you're married. There's a lot of truth to that. So when the temptation comes, what are you going to do? Are you going to capitulate, acquiesce? just say? It's not that big of a deal, or you going to be like a wall of granite looking up to high heaven and refuse. And that's what he does. Let's look at this for a moment. He chose the high path of refusal. That word, ma'il, verse 8, refuse means to absolutely, unequivocally refuse. He didn't smile a sheepish little smile, put his hands in his pocket and, old oh, shucks, kind of thing, you know, and just be flattered by her. No, he didn't do that. In fact, what, what, what he did do was was very praiseworthy. He, he was thinking, he was thinking, you know, I can't disappoint my friend Potiphar. I don't want to violate him by sleeping with his wife. I wish. Let me just be careful. I wish Donald Trump would have read that. I wish he, I wish he would have read that. I'm not going to violate my friends, and he brags on it, I violated my friends' wives and their spouses. And what's what, what the big deal? Well it's a big deal! It's a big deal when you violate that sacred vow you took between God and your wife. And Joseph said, I'm not going to do this and sin against Him, but more importantly, I'm not going to do this and sin against God. Notice what Joseph calls adultery in verse 9. He calls it great wickedness. He didn't call it a tryst. He didn't call it an affair. He didn't call it a liaison, a nocturnal get-together. He didn't call it any of that. It wasn't nothing soft or benign about what he said. He said, this is great wickedness. And that's what it is. Number three is a vigorous tempter. Boy, she's persistent. And verses 10, 11, and 12, she did not give up easily. Look at verse 10 with me real quick. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Uh, He is handsome. He's well-built. He's easy on the eyes, ladies. I mean, he just is. Can you picture him in your mind's eye? He is a handsome young man. But I want to show you something you may not have recognized in the Scriptures, and I would not have recognized it had I not been reading Proverbs every day for about 12 years. Every day I read Proverbs, and it warns me and it warns me, be careful with sexual sin and be careful what you say. If you read Proverbs, it'll keep uh, keep you right with God, keep you right with your wife, and it'll keep you being careful with what you say. You know what attracted her to Him more than anything? His godliness. It was His godliness. Proverbs tells us, beware of the adulterer because she prays — not praise, but praise — upon the precious soul. I I remember Jerry Falwell in a meeting years ago. And it was a group of pastors, and we, we were in a room, and, and he said, uh, gentlemen, I mean I was like 30, 31 years old, I was, I was pretty naive, and pastor in this large church, and I was just like happy-go-lucky, and he said, gentlemen, you may not think you're all that handsome. I was like, yeah, that's, that's true, you know, i was just saying that. He goes, but somebody does. Somebody in your church thinks you're really handsome, and you need to beware and to be careful.'" And stay close with God, stay close with your wife, because listen guys, every, almost every single week one of my buddies or one of these star pastors that I read about and I like and I see it, and they fall. And they fall and they hurt the relationship with God and they hurt their church and, and they're shattered. And Proverbs chapter 2 says they will never rise to, to where they used to be. You said, what about grace? What about grace? What about justice? What about God saying, yes, I can forgive you, but God says, I will never restore you to the place you were if you do this one. said, well, that's just your opinion. Well, that was Solomon's opinion, too, in Proverbs chapter 2. Read it. Let me find it. I got some people here from Missouri. And they're like, you show me, okay? I'm about to show you. I got it in my notes, but I can't find it in my notes, but I can find it in the Bible, which is a lot better. Proverbs chapter 2 says, who forsakes the companion of her youth, and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, men listen, nor do they regain the paths of life. You do not get back what you lose with this one. Do you ever notice Billy Graham's name has never been mentioned with sexual sin? Do you know why? Well, y'all yeah, he's 98 years old. That's not a big deal. Well, hold on. He's not always been 97 years old. Uh, dashing, young, nice-looking, flaming evangelist. He never would go to lunch or dinner with someone of the opposite sex. He never would ride in a car with someone, just him and her, if it wasn't Ruth or if it wasn't one of his daughters. In fact, I read somewhere that he would even have people go into his hotel room and map out the room and check out the room just to make sure that there was never a hint of any indiscretion on his part. Verse 12, Henry Morris says, she takes off her garment and she tries to take off his. I thought that was interesting. But this next quote I came across was really interesting. Clarence McCartney says this, this was no ordinary temptation. Joseph was not a stone, a stone, a rock, a mummy. This vigorous woman, she's very vigorous. This woman tempts a red-blooded young man in his twenties. It was not one temptation on one day, but a repeated temptation. An old story goes like this, and I thought this was crazy. An old apocryphal story goes like this. One time, when she is tempting Joseph, she takes off her her blouse and she puts it over the bust of the God that she worshiped in her house, and she says, see, God doesn't see this. And Joseph said. My God sees everything, but my God knows everything, and I can't do this great wickedness against my God. And I don't want to dishonor your husband, even though you're more than glad to. Vigorous tempter. Now, let's look at the result. This has a great ending to it. The victorious result. Verse 12 summarizes um, what Joseph does. Look what he does. He leaves, he flees. And He speeds. I mean, He runs away from her. First Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Had Joseph not done that, I am convinced today that, I w- that you and I would not be singing His praise and looking at Him as a worthy example to emulate. Mark 7.21, I was reading this in my quiet time this week. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders." I got a good friend of mine, he's a pastor in uh, Georgia. He's from Wales, and he talks like it. He's not from Alabama. I mean, he he sounds like he is from, from Wales. That's been bothering me for 30 minutes. I just had to get this. So good. He said, um, Brother Danny, he said, just be careful because so many guys fall at 52. I said, what? He said, I don't know what it is. He said, but when you're 52, it's, it's crazy. Just be careful. Well, guess how old I'm going to be in a few weeks? I'll be 52 years old. And I've said this before, and I want to say it again. It's not that I'm not tempted, and I, and I am tempted, like every man. And I don't know why some women are attracted to me, but, but they are. Maybe it's, it's the godliness of soul, because I sure don't look at myself as well-built and handsome, you know, like <laughs> Joseph was. That's, I just don't look at myself like that. But I do pray God kills me, strikes me dead, before I ever commit adultery against Ashley or against you. That that is my heart. I'm telling you guys, that is my prayer to God. I've said this before, and I, I'll say it again. And I and I kind of jokingly say, if I get run over by bus tonight, don't think. Well, he was in sin, you know. No, I, it's, it's not. It's not that at all. But some of you guys have fallen, and great has been your fall. Can I put you back to the mercy of God for a moment, the grace of God? Sure, it, once you do this, you cross into an area, you, you can't get away from God's grace and mercy because He will forgive you, He will cleanse you. But I strongly believe for pastors, they, they never return to where they used to be. And if you have fallen prey to this, and I, I want you to just—I want you to confess your sin to God. Ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you. And like I said, this is not some priestly Catholic thing here. This is — it's much deeper than that. It's, you, can, you don't have to come through me. You don't have to go through a preacher or a pastor or a priest. You go directly to God because you have offended God first and foremost. You ask Him, please forgive me, God, and restore to me the joy of my salvation and the relationship with my spouse. I put here in my notes, some of us and some of you have paid the high cost of low living. And, and none of us would do this in our right mind. I don't think any of us would wake up one morning and say, today's the day I'm going to commit adultery. I, I just think today's a good day. No, it starts way before that. Jesus said it starts in your heart. And those, those thoughts, and if you don't deal with it — and guys, I know it's just kind of cool and kind of cutie that somebody's flirting with you and you're up in age. Don't — just cut it off. Just don't do it, because if you're not careful, you'll be like West Point, and before you know it, you have completely rationalized it. I'll close with this final story. It's a hypothetical story. It's a story that I've created, but I want you to, to listen to me. Man, could I just say, I sure do love my wife. And I praise God that this year we'll be married 30 years. She'll be 50 in a few weeks, and she's a hot espacita. I just want to let you all know that. That's what I think she is. That's that's how I really think about her. I put that on Facebook. My mother-in-law said, what's an espacita? I said, well, it's 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 just spouse. That's all I think, I hope. So, you go to the car dealership. You've got your eye on this car. Let's say it's just candy apple red. It's glistening in the showcase room, and you're looking at it, and you're going, "I got to have that car." And then you can fill in the name: Maserati, Porsche, what, 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 whatever it is. And but I just, I just want you to. I just want you to stay with me. The price of the car in the showroom is $100,000. Okay, now I know that's, that's probably way lower, but just, just stay with me. It's $100,000, and you're looking at it. And the salesman comes up to you and says, hey, excuse me there, buddy, I, I noticed you were noticing and checking out our, our, our car. It's on display, and I can tell you really like it, and I've got a deal for you. And man, you go, ooh, i got a deal. He's going to give me a discount. He goes, here's what I want to do for you. That car that you're looking at, here, here's my best offer. Here it is. You ready? $675,000. It's yours. And the sticker says $100,000. And you say, I'll take it. (laughs) See, that's an idiot. You say, yeah, that's — and that's what we are if we do this. Young guys, can I encourage you? Can I just come alongside you and say? Man, everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, there's sensuality. There's temptation. And to keep your nose clean, and to keep your eyes on Jesus, and to, to walk with Him in this day and age, listen, it's far harder than it was when I was in my 20s. Guys, some of you guys kind of got some snow on the mountain here, a little smoke. What's somebody say? Got some smoke in your chimney there, Brother Danny. Yeah, I do. It's just as great as it can be. Let some of you guys that are older, just be real, it is a lot harder than it used to be. So let's come alongside these guys and encourage them and, and help them. Would you bow with me for just a moment let's pray together and let's have our invitation. Let's, let's go to God. Let's ask God to forgive us. Let's ask God to pro- protect us. Would you, would you bow your heads, with would you close your eyes, would you allow the Spirit of God to just speak to you and encourage you and to draw you back into relationship with Him? Some of you today are sitting here and you, you continually, habitually fall into sexual sin and really any and every kind of sin, and you know why? The Spirit of God really does not live inside of you. And there needs to be a moment. There needs to be a moment of rebirth. There needs to be a time where you repent and you turn to God and say, forgive me, save me, and allow the Spirit of God to genuinely redeem you, baptize you into the family of God. I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to pray. If you're here today, you, you, you may be listening to us on television or maybe uh, on the internet or, or, or right here in our sanctuary. If you would say, I I know that I'm lost, I know I do what I do, it's because I am who I am, it's my character, it's my nature, I have not been redeemed, I want you to pray with me. Would you you just pray silently, quietly in your heart while I pray out loud? Just say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, for too long I've justified it and I've rationalized it. God, I ask you to forgive me. God, I genuinely ask You to save my dirty soul. Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God, and You came to die for people like me. And so I embrace Your death. I embrace my death. I embrace Your resurrection, and I embrace my resurrection. Jesus, come into me and save my soul. Ladies and gentlemen, as you pray that prayer, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let me welcome you to the family of God. With God, there is grace abundant. There is mercy. He forgives. He cleanses. We welcome you to the family of God. Let us encourage you. Let us baptize you like we did these four today. Let us disciple you. Let us us come alongside you and say, listen, we will help you overcome sin in your life, and we will encourage you. Some of you are here today, and the truth be known, you, you do know the Lord, you do love the Lord, but you just struggle. You are struggling at this point. And I want to say it to you again, God loves you. God is for you. And Get help. Get with someone that can encourage you and hold you accountable and get you over this before it destroys you and destroys your marriage. Father, thank You, Lord, for today. Thank You for the Word of God that is so very pertinent, God, is so, so applicable and, and poignant, God, it's so, it's so up to date. And I thank You, Lord, for Joseph. I know he wasn't perfect. And I know, Lord, that he battled with, with pride and, and arrogance, but God, thank You that He has given us some great examples to follow right here in this text. And Thank You, Lord, for our church. I, I just thank You, God that we, that God, best we can, we want to serve You, we want to read Your Word, we want to study it. And so, Lord, would You honor it? Would You honor our feeble attempt to preach Your Word by adding people to Your church and drawing people to Yourself through the foolishness of preaching? For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. Thank you for your attentiveness. We want you to stand. We want you to… Would you look up? Look at the words on these uh, screens and sing it. Unless the Spirit of God is just all over you and He's heavy on you, then why don't you come forward and let somebody talk to you and encourage you and pray with you. As the priest team leads us, why don't you come?